It's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 453 for September 2nd, 2016. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, we're back with Bart Bouchats, and we're going to do JavaScript in the browser. We're breaking out of the playground, huh, Bart? We're breaking out of the playground, but we're slightly hanging around in a bigger playground. <laughs> so uh, training wheels, but but we're not going in a circle. We're going to go maybe in a square now or something. I don't know, maybe there's some sort of horseback riding analogy where we don't quite go out into the woods yet, but we we Can't. do leave the stable. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. That was the big day when we got to go in a circle outside of the, the uh, stable. So, well, before we get started, uh, people listening to this may not have heard the show yet that won't have come out yet for three days, but uh, I finished, I wrote an application all by myself. Excellent. So I, I wanted to talk about it here for just a second because uh, the first time you ever talked about this tool called Image Magic uh, for editing photos or mm. manipulating photos from the command line, I remember just going, "Yeah, right. I'm ever going to be able to do that." And you said, "Oh, it's easy. You know, I just do a little script and a blah blah blah." And I was like, "Yeah, right. It's not the terminal. I don't know how to do any of that." Well, that was in 2008, and it's 2016, and because of the countless and countless hours you have spent instructing me and the rest of the Nocilla Castaways, we, uh, I just feel real comfortable popping open that terminal, and I wrote my first, uh, first shell, Bash shell script inside uh, Automator, and it's all thanks to you. Oh, well, that's really nice. So basically, ter- taming the terminal, and then the program by myself, I'm sure, was helpful, because I why. Well, I- you, you very kindly showed me your cool program, so I've been poking around in there, and there's variables being set and all sorts of cool stuff going on. So there's, even though it's not programming, you know, in the traditional sense, it's still programming. Yeah, yeah. And even, um, let's see, when we went through XKPassWD, your password generator, you taught us mm. how to create an automator action to make a service that would allow us to have XKPassWD right in our services menu. And I've been using that, but I remembered you talking about passing variables. So I wasn't afraid to try that. I said, hey, wait a minute, if I need to know this later, what if I pass it, it to a variable and I could and I could call it over here. So uh, I did. I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know. But I think that the biggest thing that you've done with all of this is I didn't have any fear. You know, I didn't think, Good. oh, I can never do this. I thought maybe I can. It just that little slight. Maybe I can't. <laughs> but I thought maybe I can as opposed to I can never do this. This is too hard. So well, that's great. So this, you're, you see, and this is the thing I've always said that the reason that I love the terminal and I love programming is that it gives you the power to scratch your own itch. I wish there was a tool to do X. It used to be a Googling problem. Now it's a typing problem. <laughs> yeah, and, and that is exactly what this uh, this little tool I've written. I mean, I don't think probably another person on Earth is going to need to use it just the way I do. But maybe they'll, a couple of those silicastaways will look at it and go, well, that's kind of cool, but I don't really want to drop shadow. I want a white border or I want my yeah. uh, my my uh, watermark on it or whatever they want to do. And they'll say, oh, I could mess with hers and do this. And it just just giving people the idea that you can do this. If I can do it, man, anybody can. There you go. And even if no one else ever uses it, you now have this app forever that does exactly what you want. Not yeah. a little bit what you want, exactly what yeah. you want, because you wrote it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and, and that kind of is what makes it kind of goofy for other people. But uh, yeah, it does right. exactly what I want. It, it is uh, perfect for me. Yep. Yeah. So very it's good. It's so much more fun to be in control of the computer telling it what to do. 
<laughs> yeah, and as uh, I, I called uh, Pat Dangler up on FaceTime to tell her about it because I was so excited, and she she told me she said you look like Popeye right after he ate his spinach, you know, because I was <laughs> holding my arms up like I am, you know, I am woman, call me strong, you know, I'm just uh, look what I did all by myself, yay, so, with two or three hundred nice hours of programming and, and and instruction from you. That's it. That's all I needed. <laughs> Yeah, look, fun, right? Learning is fun. Absolutely. All right. Well, we should probably get started here. Okie dokie. So where we're heading today. So we have now at this stage in our... So we started off looking at HTML and we learned how to create the structure of a web page. And then we learned about CSS where we learned how to apply styles to that structure that was defined by the HTML. And then the step we've been preparing for for the last six installments is the ability to start to manipulate that structure and that style programmatically. So if the user clicks here, this happens. If something else happens, something else happens. So basically to bring that whole page to life, and that's where JavaScript comes in. But before I could teach you how to use JavaScript in the browser, I had to teach you JavaScript. Right. And so that's what we spent the last six installments doing. Might even be seven, actually. I'm not sure if I updated these show notes since I since we finished JavaScript. I must go go back and count. Make sure <laughs> it is six. But anyway, a number of installments um, on JavaScript. Um, and so today we're going to dip our toe into the browser. Uh, but just like it took us a little while to get going with playing JavaScript, there's actually quite a bit to the integration with the browser. So it's going to take us an installment or two to get fully settled in here to our new home. So for today, we're going to be using a tool. Now, the reason I've done it this way around is kind of twofold. It's easier to understand when we approach it this way, but also it means I'm forcing you to use a tool that I want you to learn how to use because it's really, really helpful for actually the, the act of developing. Hmm. Um, okay. It's a tool that every web programmer should become comfortable with. So if I force you to, well, then you will be. <laughs> okay. So uh, I have... I, you know, I, I could have I could have put some of this in the other order, but I've decided to do it this way because I think a I think it'll make it easier to understand than b I just think it's a better way to learn. All right. Now, before we do all that, way back in installment eighteen, I did actually set a final challenge, which was supposed to be the final challenge, and then you said you wanted more challenges, so then I made five more challenges. I think I really wanted uh, easier challenges. Is technically what I said. <laughs> Because you sort of jump to this one that's uh, pretty complicated. The basis is not complicated, but the all the uh, little parts of it are kind of complicated. Yeah. So I guess the reason I sort of I spent a lot of time choosing this final challenge because it incorporates everything that we've learned, and it was very difficult to find one definable chunk that does a little bit of everything. So if we kept um, this one tab in our uh, in our bookmarks, we could go back and say, okay, this will this will basically have a piece of everything we learned. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. This is sort of like the the ultimate pure JavaScript example. Right. So the challenge I set was to create a prototype to represent uh, to create a pair of prototypes to represent IP addresses and subnets, and then we would use the playground to create a subnet using inputs one and two to say here's a net address and a net mask, and then use input three to enter an IP address, and your code should basically return yes, that IP is in that subnet, or no, it isn't. So basically a very simple little tester. Is this IP in this subnet, yes or no? And so I don't know how much detail we want to spend going through this since it's been so long since we've done this stuff, but basically uh, sort of some key points. So... Uh, 
we're very much following the model we did last time around. So if you look at the constructor for the IP, we defaulted to an IP address of 0000. Seems like a sensible thing to do. If someone says, give me a new IP, and they don't give you a value, well, 000 seems as good as any. Mm-hmm. And I actually told you in the assignment to represent the IP as an array of four integers. So this dot underscore IP equals the array 0, 0, 0, 0. Mm-hmm. And then we say, if there was an argument, pass it through to a function called parse that we'll write later. So the same idea, instead of doing the logic twice for figuring out how to interpret an IP address, we just hand off to future us when we will write a parse function. You know, when I got and, to that, I got confused again. I sat there, I, I, I've only read this, I haven't uh, done it myself, but I sat there going, where did parse come from? And I argued and yelled at you for a while in your absence before I went, oh, we're going to make that up later. That still yes. is so backward to me, and yet it makes complete sense. And Jill, yes, yes I do understand it. I just forget each time. <laughs> yes, because although you're writing the function before you, and although you're writing the text that will execute it before you've defined it, by the time you click run, everything exists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so actually, the next thing in the code is the parse function. And the parse function basically says, you can give me the IP address as a string, or you can give me the IP address as an array of four integers. So that gives us the ability to play around with regular expressions. So first off, we check to say, did I get an array? If I got an array, I'll just take it as an array. Thank you very much. If I didn't get an array, then I need to process these strings in some way. And so I'm using a regular expression to see if it really is a valid IP address. I don't want you to give me garbage. And then I use the wonderful split function that I had just told people about when we set this assignment. And I say ip.split on the period symbol or the full stop symbol to us Europeans. So on the uh, on the regular expression, I do want to make a, a comment. I yes. forget whether this was, I think it was on the air in the last time we did a video on it. Watching you build up a regular expression, I still can't read them and I still can't <laughs> write them, but watching you do it, I got it. I got why if you know the syntax, it's super useful. I finally, I've bought into it and I can almost read like two or three characters on my own. I know that D is digit and I think that little hat means start. And dollar might yeah, mean so, end. But other than that, I don't so, know what the rest of it is. Yeah, so start and dollar are hat. Sorry, start and end are hat and dollar. And I tend to, you'll see me very often write hat dollar and then tab the cursor back and go, now what? Yeah. And, and watching you do that, building from the outside in, really helped me understand why they work and and the, your thought process as you write it. So um, I, I actually, when I was writing my <laughs> my big application we already talked about, I thought about using a regular, regular expression and you said, well, yeah, that's cute, but you don't need one. Here's all you need to do. So. <laughs> but that's all. Yes, uh, not everything, even though you have a fantastic screwdriver, sometimes it's a nail and you just hit it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so the next thing I guess to draw your attention to, so we have an if statement here to say, if what we were handed was an array, you treat it as an array, otherwise treat it as a string, and then else, throw new error invalid IP. Yeah. So this this is an example of us using exceptions or error handling instead of the old-fashioned return a magic number kind of approach or print out a message. Right. So again, that was a new thing we had just learned, which is why it was important to get it in there. And then we go on to say, okay, so I have now gotten four numbers, but are they actually valid for an IP address? Because, you know, 999 will match the regular expression, three digits, you know, one to three digits followed by a period followed by one to three digits, but it's complete garbage as an IP address, so we need to do more. 
So we check each one to see if it's uh, less, uh, if it's between zero and 255, and otherwise we throw another error. We say, no, sorry, can't do that. Right. Um, and then finally then, when all of that is done, and none of those errors have triggered, then we say this at underscore IP equals new IP. Okay. All right. So then we just have uh, a little function called toArray, whose job is simply to output the current IP address as an array. And then we have a function to string, which outputs it as a string, which makes lovely use of the join function, which is the opposite of the split function. Now, I'm so kind of split confused. In the previous string. one, you did both. You've got join and split in the same yeah. command. Return this.ip.join.split. Okay, underscore IP dot join dot split. Right. So this is a good reason. So Jill gave me a slight talking to um, <laughs> in, in the nicest possible way, as she always does. So there's something I didn't stress enough in, the, in our talky-talky example we did last time. Uh, so if an object, if I, if I quote unquote store an object in an array, in, in a variable, I'm not, and then I say, let's say I say var x equals new complex number. So last time we were working with complex numbers, I say var x equals a new complex number. What's actually in x is a reference to an object. So if I say var y equals x, y gets a copy of the reference. So there's still only one complex number, but two people have a reference to it. So if I edit Y, X has just gotten edited as well. Which, if you're not expecting that to happen, it's just a teeny tiny bit confusing. Okay. So to stop, if I were to just return this that underscore IP in the two array function, then I'm just returning a reference to the actual array inside the object. So if someone then takes that array and manipulates it, they've broken my IP address. So by turning it into a string and then back to an array, I have, I have effectively cloned. So by the joining array. and splitting again, yeah, that, so I'm that saying, clones it. Yeah, because instead of returning the actual array that's inside my object, I turn it into a string. So that's not my array anymore. That's now a string. And then from that string, I make a new array with split. So the effect is I've handed them a completely new one without having to do a whole bunch of difficult typing. It's just a really, really neat hack to turn an array into a clone of itself, just join it and split it again. That's kind of interesting. So instead of creating something called stringify, you just said, okay, join it at the dot and then split it at the dot. And that, hmm. Therefore, it had to be, it has to it's be It's a whole new. fresh array now. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's okay, not that I never would have guessed. I know you've got a comment about it, but okay. All right. Which is why I'm glad you pointed that out. Uh, and then we do a very similar thing then. So we define our subnet. So our subnet is going to have two pieces of data, this dot underscore IP, which is going to be an IP address, and this dot underscore class, which is going to be A, B, or C. And again, we have error checking to make sure that you actually gave an IP when I asked for an IP and that you gave a valid string when I asked for a valid string. And if not, throw new error. So again, check, 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 save. Uh, two string, again, very straightforward. We just basically, if we got a class A, we want to print out 255.0.0.0. Otherwise, we print out 255. Yeah, basically, we just end up printing out the right 255s. Okay. Uh, and then we just return it as a string. So if you're a class A, then it's 255.255. No, 255.0.0. You get the idea. Yeah. And then the test function does the final bit of mathematics to actually test if a given IP address is is within the subnet. And it just basically says... 
if I'm a class A, then only the first two, the first bit of the two IP addresses has to match. If I'm a class B, I need to make the first two match. If I'm a class C, I have to make the first three match. And I just return false if any of those things are not true. Okay. Which is why you see there it says, this, you know, it says the first bit always has to match. So I just say if test IP zero not equal to net new, uh, to net IP zero, return false. So it doesn't matter whether you're an A or a B or a C. If the first to, if the first part of the IP address doesn't match, it can't possibly be in the subnet, return false. Then I say, if you're a B or a C, we have to check the second bit too. And if you're a C, I have to check the third bit. So that's how you see that broken down as the three if statements. Okay. And at the end, we just tie it all together by just basically doing our pbs.input and all that kind of stuff and just actually doing what we, what we created the objects for. So I said, that's a very quick race through it. But the key point to draw your attention to is that we're using everything we've learned we're using regular expressions, we're using try-catch blocks, we're using throwing of errors, we're using split and join to turn things between arrays and strings and strings and arrays. So that's why this is a good example, because it, it just dips into a little bit of everything. There's if statements, all everything's in here. So I'm a little bit confused by one thing. Uh, <laughs> I should be able to copy and paste this whole thing into uh, the PBS Playground. You should, yeah. And then type in an IP address and have it know what I'm doing. Uh, hang on, let me let me copy it. So I copied and pasted in, and I typed in uh, 192.168.1.1, and it says not a subnet class undefined. Okay, so you you just type in a, an IP address and a net mask, and then an IP address to test. So all three inputs need to be full. Okay, where where does it? Where did you say that? That's got to be hundreds of lines down in this, huh? Uh, well, it's, it's right at the very bottom, so oh. we're checking. So basically... To test an IP against the subnet and an IP address with the subnet, with the subnet in input one, a class... Oh, I see. Okay. So it's an IP okay, and I then an, a letter and then an IP. Okay. All right. Got it. Ah, okay. Good. All right. Okay. So well, that's going to be a good one to keep under our belt for later perusal when we're stuck on any piece of this i think like you said this has a bit of everything in it yeah, the only thing not in there is a loop because i really couldn't find a way to wedge it in but there's been a <laughs> lot of loop examples yeah i think i've got the loop down if nothing else okay so now we're going to change track we're going to change tack completely which is a sailing term and not a tact i hate <laughs> when people change tact Ooh, nice. um as a nautical person yourself i'm sure you appreciate that you betcha so we are going to go back into the browser which means that we're we get to have one of those episodes where we talk simple stuff because we need to lay a foundation so let us every browser with the exception of internet explorer but including microsoft edge has something called a javascript or a web console and this is an interface that web developers use to run JavaScript. It's like a terminal for the web. Okay. So instead of sending commands to your operating system to run, you send JavaScript commands to the browser to execute as if they were JavaScript code within the page. And so you can use this to tinker around with stuff. Instead of writing some JavaScript, hitting save, uploading it to your server, hitting shift refresh, and then hit, you know, to see what happens, you can just type straight into the web console and just run the JavaScript there and then. Now, we haven't learned how to inject JavaScript into a web page. That's what we're going to be doing in the future. But for now, the web console lets us play with JavaScript in the browser 
without having to spend lots of time on prep work. We can sort of dive straight in. And the added advantage is I really think you should know how to use the web console because it is such an amazingly useful tool. So that's why we're doing it this way, right? So in the interest of cross-platformness, we are going to do this in Firefox. Oh, good. Now, my personal preference. So, okay, so IE does not have a console, so you can't play along in IE. You can play along in Microsoft Edge. Microsoft Edge is a really nice console. You can play along in Safari if you enable the developer tools, which you have to do separate. So in Safari, you have to go Safari, Preferences, Advanced, and then the very bottom thing there is Show Develop Menu in Menu Bar. That has to be ticked. And then in Safari, you can go Develop, uh, Show Error Console. So Safari calls it an error console. Firefox calls it a web console. Other things call it a JavaScript console. Basically, it's going to have the word console in it. Yeah, right, right. Um, Edge has a nice one. Chrome has a pretty nice one. Uh, But my favorite by far is Safari, but it just wouldn't be fair to do it in Safari here in this series. Yeah. So I'm going to force myself to use Firefox, which is my least favorite of all of them. (laughs) I'm honest, but okay. But still, everybody gets to play, and that's always more fun. Precisely. Now, in order to play around in the console, so the console is a terminal command into a web page. Well, we've got to have a web page to have a terminal command into, right? So to that effect, I have created a dummy page, which I'm calling PBS dummy page. And the link is in the show notes. And there's also a link to download the code should you want to actually see how the dummy hangs together, which you're entirely welcome to do. Um. So if you browse to this dummy page in Firefox, then we're ready to start. Okay, I'm set. I've got it there. Okay. So, so you're looking at the page, page at the top. Okay. And everything looks normal, right? right? So now I'd like you to go to the tools menu, and I'd like you to go mm-hmm. to web developer, which will expand out into a submenu. And then I'd like you to choose web console. Ooh, look at that. Now I've got a little window across the bottom that I didn't have before. Yeah, so some sort of, it looks like a sidebar along the bottom, is how best to describe it. Right. has slid up, and it actually has multiple tabs, which are actually things we've come across before, like the inspector is one of these tabs. Yeah, I don't know if we've talked about it in the show, but we've used the, oh yeah, we did, when we were messing we around with uh, drawing boxes CSS. and colors and such. Yeah. Exactly. So this is the same place, but now we're on the other tab, the tab labeled console with a little picture of a command prompty thing. Yeah, <laughs> Okay. Um, the other thing I'd like to draw your attention to then is that the, at the right of that sort of top of this new slide up thingy, there is a collection of buttons that control the actual console. So you can make it go away by hitting the X in the very top right, close developer tools. Well, that does what it says in the tin. Mm-hmm. And then next to it, there is show in separate window and show in sidebar. So if you don't like it along the bottom, you can dock it to a sidebar, which I find the most heinous and horrible thing you could ever conceivably do. But <laughs> Why? Gives you a nice tall one. Right, but nothing, nothing, everything you want in here is going to be wide. Ah, uh, okay. It's, right. it's, it's a it bad thing. Then. <laughs> uh, I actually personally find that the, the easiest way to work is to have it as a floating separate window. So when you see in my screenshots from now on, I'm going to click the button to pop it out into a new window. And I keep it popped out into a new window. Is that so you can resize it and be able to move it out of the way of the window and see everything you need to see? Precisely. Probably yeah, if you're on a 12-inch MacBook, you might want to keep it docked, but anything else you'd go bigger? Uh, actually, the opposite. The only time I might consider keeping it docked is if I had a giganto screen. Because if I'm on my laptop in particular, I want the full size of the window for the web page I'm debugging. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, while I'm clicking away, there might be stuff written to the console. Then I just command tilde and look at the console. Oh, there. I thought we were writing in the console, not just reading in the console. We are now. Yeah, oh, so for okay. now we're writing in the console for today. Okay. Uh, but again, the same thing applies. So we can write in the console and have the web page sitting behind us. You know, so I tend to have them... Imagine a diagonal where I have the, the, the browser window in the top left and the console in the bottom right, and there is quite a large overlap between the two on my little laptop. Not so much of an overlap between the two on my gigantic 27-inch iMac. Okay. So, okay, so we have our console. We're all set up. The other thing I want to draw your attention to is the second row of buttons. Effectively, this is a row of buttons inside the console tab, is how you should think of it. And you and I have a slightly different rendering of this row of buttons, even though we have the identical version of Firefox. So go figure. Yeah. What this row is for, regardless of whether you're Allison or me, is this row is about controlling what messages are and are not shown in the console. So the console is a command prompt, but it's also a place where the browser talks back. So you talk to the browser by entering commands in the command prompt. But it's a two-way conversation. Hmm. The browser talks to you. So if there is some sort of error or warning, so let's say someone has used CSS that's actually technically illegal. Well, Safari or Firefox or whatever you're using, it won't put an error that the user will see. It'll just silently ignore that bogus CSS setting. You can't say like "burder" with two O's or something. Mm -hmm. You know, it'll just ignore that. But it will write it to the console so that if you're the developer, you can actually see that the browser has ignored something. And so if there's a JavaScript error, it may not actually show to the end user, but it will show in the JavaScript console. So let's say that your code throws an error which is never caught. Where does it go? The answer is it goes into the console. So the the user doesn't see it, but you as the developer can if you want by opening up this console. So that's why you have these headings. So net, CSS, JS, security, logging, and server. And each of those are little drop-down menus, which allow you to tick what you would like to see. So do you want to see network errors, network warnings? Ignore XHOR for now. Or just to log everything happening on the network. So if you're debugging some sort of problem where you're having trouble communicating with a server, you might want to turn that logging on. Most of the time you want it off, so it's a very sensible default to have it off. In terms of CSS, then it says, I actually tend to keep mine at just errors unless there's a reason. Uh, Because a lot of... To make CSS cross-platform and work with that stupid Internet Exploder contraption, you often have to use intentionally bad CSS because it will <laughs> fail and everything that's not IE but work in IE. Okay. And if you leave warnings on while visiting stuff that's designed to be cross-browser, oh, you can see a lot of warnings. So I tend to keep that at errors. So only complain when it's really broken. Okay. And then reflows is like really, 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 you don't want to have that on all the time. Because every time someone resizes a window, everything reflows. You know the way it all <laughs> rejiggers itself. Well, if you have reflows being logged, every time that happens, it will log that fact. Oh, reflowed. Reflowed again. Reflowed again. Oh, look at that. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's why you can and, control that. And these colors, though. So I turned on reflows, which is under CSS, which is blue. But, uh, oh, I see. There's a blue bar down the left-hand side. But there sometimes the text yeah. is a color. Yeah, so the text, the color of the text is, is on, depends on how important it is. So if it's an error, it'll be like a really bright color. I, have, I don't remember exactly the colors Firefox uses, but basically... But I thought the color matched the, the tab. So right no, now it says t- something in orange, and that would be JavaScript? Uh, or no, it's just... the little bar on the left-hand side? Exactly. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. And anything you enter is, is, has a gray bar at the side. We'll get to that later. 
Uh, JavaScript then is in orange, so we have errors or warnings. Security is an interesting tab. Errors or warnings, l- logging, yes, lots of stuff in there. And then server, so we'll get to later, which is and wh- off. What was net again? So net is network traffic going over and back, basically. So when your web page might need to go out to the network to load an image or to load a CSS file or to load a JavaScript hmm. file in the okay. future. Okay. And the only difference uh, what Bart referred to earlier was clear is on uh, on the right for me to clear the console. And for him, on the far left, he's got a, a, a trash can to do the same thing. We have no yes, idea so, why. <laughs> yeah, so there will be a way to just empty the console if it's full of glop. Just So in my case, it's a trash can icon on the extreme left of this menu. In your case, it's a button labeled clear next to server there. Yeah. I don't know why it's different. But again, the functionality is the same, right? You can make it all be empty again. And then the last thing you have is a search window, which allows you to filter. So if you type a search string in there, everything that doesn't match will be hidden, but not deleted. And then as you backspace your search string away, everything will come back visible again. So if you have a console full of glop and you're only interested in, I don't know, a variable called boogers, then type boogers in there and everything that doesn't mention boogers will temporarily be hidden. You'll find your problem and then you can, you know, without having to delete everything. Okay. So it, hey, it's nice to build a filter. There's something you put in the show notes that I read before we started that I don't mm-hmm. think I heard you say uh, that I think is an important distinction is the console window is part of that window you're looking at. So if you want a yes. console on two different uh, web pages, you need to open the consoles twice. Yes, I was I was going to get to that important. Oh, but sorry, I, was going I to thought say, you said that right. No, no, we no, passed no. it. I, okay. Yeah, no, no. It's yeah, I don't always get to go in the same order as my show notes because I don't <laughs> always remember how I wrote my show notes. Um, okay. So if you look at the title of our newly popped out window, you'll see that its title says console and then the name of the web page it belongs to. So PBS dummy page and then console PBS oh, dummy okay. page. If you opened another console on the show notes, you would have a second console window, which would then say console, whatever the title of bartb.ie is. Yeah, this might be enough to have me, if I'm if I'm doing this, I might... I might keep it attached because then I don't have to be reading the, the window names. Well, realistically, though, how often, how often are you trying to fix two websites at the same time? I don't know. I can screw a lot of stuff up, Bart. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done it. We'll see. Uh, in the whole, the, the way it tends to work out for me is I have one page I'm trying to fix, one console, and then a whole bunch of other windows open with search strings in them to Google for how oh. to fix it. <laughs> By the way, that is one of the things I said uh, that I learned the most from you in uh, in writing my that application I like to bring up every five minutes and from watching Dorothy is that you guys spend a lot of time looking stuff up. So I thought you just right. knew all everything all the time, every syntax, and it's not. It's that you know how to find it. Precisely, because I don't remember the subtleties of JavaScript date format. Yeah. But I know how to search for them. And I know how the other. So there's two skills. There's the know how to search and the know how to understand the answer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And bo- you need to have both of those. Or you're not going to get very far. But I, I, I found that I, when I was looking stuff up and finding solutions online, it didn't bother me that I didn't know. It made me yeah, happy that I knew how to figure it out. I mean, it's not for nothing that in a lot of universities, program exams are open book exams, mm. which students think, oh, great, I don't have to study. <laughs> not at all. You need to understand. It's much worse than having to learn stuff off. Okay, so this is our console. So the thing I haven't mentioned yet, then, is the little typey bit at the bottom. So you have a double chevron, and then you can pop your cursor in there, and in there you can type JavaScript. So let's, let's experiment a little bit. Let's just type 35 plus 9. That's a good starting point. Ooh, so, so you'll see that to do addition for me. <laughs> you can. 
So you'll see that the first thing it does is it shows you in the loggy area that you typed a command. So you see Chevron, Chevron, and what you actually ran, and then you'll see the result okay. with an arrow. And you'll see that it has a dark gray sort of color coding as its little side tab. So is that telling so us it's net? It's telling us it's logging. Log. So you see that matches the oh, logging. logging is light gray. Okay. Well, anyway, it basically, it's telling us it's not, it's us, right? So a CSS error will be in blue, a JavaScript error, if it's coming from the page, will be in orange. But if we do it on the console, it will be this dark slate gray. Okay. So the dark slate gray is us. Uh, okay, so that wasn't all that interesting. So let's, let's, let's do something a little bit more powerful. So var x equals 5. You can leave out the semicolons because these are one-line commands, but anyway. So that doesn't do anything very exciting because it doesn't actually return a value. So we get back undefined as the answer. But we have now actually created that variable and it continues to exist. So if you just now say x on its own, you'll see it says 5. Oh. Huh. And we can say var y equals x plus 6. And then we can just say, well, what's y now? So just y on its own. Oh, it's 11. Oh, that's cool. I got a calculator now. (laughs) You do have a very powerful calculator. And we can interact. Actually, yeah, because math.py and all that stuff is at your disposal in there. So it's all there. Uh, You can also interact then with bits of the web page. So there is a variable that is part of what we're going to learn about, which is the JavaScripty nature of the web page called location.href, which is actually the URL of the current page. So if you type in location.href and hit enter, it will say HTTPS colon slash slash blah, 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 blah. Yep. So if your script needs to know where it's running, location.href is the variable. So location is an object that describes the current location, and href is the variable inside that object that actually says what my URL is. Uh, there's also document.title, which just has the title of the page, which is PBS dummy page. Yep. We have window.innerwidth. So the document object represents all the HTML. So we're going to spend a lot of time playing around with the document object. The window object represents the physical frame that we're looking in. So my window is 886 pixels wide. If I resize the window and then run that same command again, then it's going to be 899. So I moved it by 13 pixels. Oh, okay. And there's obviously an inner height as well, if you want to resize in the other direction. Um, you can also define objects. So var my object equals key one asterisk key two through key three forty two. Not all that interesting, but when you go to print it out, uh, most consoles are actually quite clever about it. So if I then say my obj, it will actually show me that it's an object and that it has key one a string key two through. So we can actually use this to examine objects as well. So if our code contained an object, we could have a look at that object in the console to see oh. what its value is there or whatever. So if you're not sure what's going on under the hood, you don't have to fill your code with debug statements. You can just actually use the console to say, what is it? What is the value of my dummy variable? So figuring out where in the, uh, where in the path you are. Yeah. Because, you know, you have a variable. When someone clicks the button, its value gets updated. What value is it now? Well, just use the console to print it out, and then you'll know what value it is now. And then click the button and see what value it is then. And then you'll realize that, oh, sugar, I made a mistake in my maths or whatever. Right. And then the last thing is just, just to show that all the JavaScript stuff is here. So math.random. Love me a random the other thing, number. The other thing, of course, is that like in Bash, you can use the up key to scroll back through everything we've done. You know, I instinctively did that, and it worked. That was fun. Yes. Good. 
So you can see how this works. We type something, we hit enter, and then we see the answer, if there is an answer. And there's a full history here. And if this gets too boring, click the delete button, and it all vanishes away. <laughs> so or our variables cease to exist then? No, they do not. So you can still say why, and it's still 11. Oh, really? The only way to make anything go away, because we are interacting with the web page, hit refresh on the web page, and then, then hit the up arrow and get oh. why. Now why it's oh. gone. Okay. All we're right, doing so is as we're creating this variable, yes, exactly. So when we create this variable, it is going into that web page in the global scope. Okay, is that being stored on the server? Nope. Ooh. So everything we have learned, including JavaScript, is a client-side technology. So the browser is running it all. So the browser receives from the server the HTML as text, and the browser turns that into a pretty picture. And the browser receives from the server as text the CSS file, and it uses that CSS file to change the pretty picture it made with the HTML. And the browser receives the JavaScript as just text, and then it runs it inside itself. So the browser is where JavaScript runs. Okay. Okay. Cool. And so every time you hit, so basically every web page is a little virtual machine that has JavaScript in it. And if you make a variable, it's in that web page. And if you refresh the web page, it's back to the way the server said it was. So if I were to have put x equals 5 inside the web page, when I hit refresh, it would go back to 5 because the web page put it there. But y doesn't exist in that web page because there's no JavaScript in that web page yet. Therefore, when I hit refresh, y goes into nothingness until I say var y equals 44. And now y is 44 until I hit refresh and that will be gone again. Okay. So refresh basically wipes out everything you've been doing in the console. Okay. Which is good because when you completely muff it up, just refresh. And we're going to intentionally break things, by the way, because that's fun. <laughs> okay, good. So I've given you a little sneak peek here. So let's be a little more specific. So I have told, we have seen there that location.href gives us the URL and document.title gives us the title and window.innerwith gives us the width. This collection of objects, location, document, and window, and there's a few more, this collection of objects together is known as the document object model, or the DOM, and it's basically the browser presents information about the web page you're viewing and the browser's status as JavaScript objects. So JavaScript can interact with the web page through these objects. So you don't create these objects. The browser creates them, and they represent the page. Every single HTML tag has a matching object in the DOM. So for every P tag, there's an object. For every H1 tag, there's an object. For every, every, every little bit of the page has a matching object in this gigantic tree of objects, which is called the document object model, or for short, the DOM. And so really, everything we're going to be doing here is manipulating the DOM. If you want to make something blue instead of red, well, you find its object and say to make its color property go from blue to red. If you want to add a new button that didn't exist when you're saying, here's a new object, shove it into the DOM and it will magically appear in the web page. Make something go away. Well, that's easy. Delete it from the DOM. Poof. It vanishes. So as you manipulate the DOM, the web page changes. As you manipulate the web page, the DOM changes. They are connected. They are linked. They are two views of the one reality. Now, when we're doing that from the console, we're just doing that within this current refreshness of the page. We're yes. not changing the HTML on the server side. We're just talking to it in this page. Yes, exactly. Okay. Which means that when we completely 
you know, mess it up. We just hit refresh. We get a fresh copy from the server and everything is as it was. Okay. But of course, we're writing JavaScript code into the page. When the browser gets it from the server, if there's a mistake in that code, the browser will just repeat the mistake. You hit refresh, the browser repeats the mistake again. So that's why the console is important, so you can see the error output, so you can see what you've done wrong. Oh, okay. Okay, so um, we have a few more things to learn. So we've done location.href, we've done document. we've done window.innerhhref. How's about window.alert? This is a function that is offered by the window object. So let's try copy-paste that in. And do you want, I, I, I imagine you might guess what this will do. Which one? Are we, the window alert? Window.alert. I'm an annoying alert. <laughs> now, that's so interesting because that's the first time we've done it where something's actually changing on the web page. The web page mm -hmm. actually pops up an alert says, I'm an annoying alert. Yeah, and we dismiss it with the OK button. That's a standard right. JavaScript alert. Okay. And you do that by calling the function window.alert, and the argument you pass is the text that will appear in the alert. So it's a function offered out by the window object in the DOM. I assume somewhere uh, there's a list of what all these commands, what things are out there to do, like window.alert? Right. It's huge. Oh, okay. the, the API for the DOM is huge, but Mozilla have a fantastic API. So if you're going to search for DOM APIs, Mozilla have the nicest web page for it. MSDN have a half-decent documentation of it. Uh, I'll link to all these in future when we when we get a little bit further in. I have noticed when I've been searching for JavaScript, I get MDN and MSDN often. And MDN yes. is, is Mozilla. And, yeah, and so I MDN is the Mozilla Developer Network, and they're my favorite. If I, if I need to look up something in the DOM, I prefer the MDN link. They're generally really well written. Okay. But the MSN ones are often pretty good too. Uh, MSDN. MSDN, Microsoft Developer Network. Right, right. It was kind of confusing to me, though, to be looking at JavaScript and I'm looking at a Microsoft thing, but that's what's cool about this, right, is it works for everybody. Exactly, because, of course, Edge is a really good browser that is properly standards compliant. So now I believe Microsoft. In the bad old days, you never went near the MSDN link because it would tell you how to do things the IE way. So it would work in one browser and one browser only. But those days are over. Edge is a fantastic browser. Well done, Microsoft. Good. Um, Another function I'm going to mention is window.confirm. So in this case, we have a bit longer code. If window.confirm, you happy for me to annoy you again, question mark? <laughs> then window.alert, another dumb alert. So you can probably guess what this will do. Right. So now we have an OK cancel button instead of just an OK button. If we hit cancel, we don't get annoyed. If we hit the up arrow and do it again, and this time we hit OK, then we do get annoyed. Now another dumb alert. I noticed that it does something else, though, is uh, if you say OK to the first one, the second one has a checkbox that says prevent this page from creating additional dialogues. And we never did told it that. Right. That's that's a Firefox feature, not and not a not anything uh, we've done. Okay. So Firefox, in order to, you know, there used to be a thing you could do. If you make these these dialogues pop up, they used to actually be fully modal and stop you being able to use the browser. Now they're actually just inside the tab. Oh, so remember, these okay. pop up with little windows, and you could have a for loop that just popped one of these up every second, and people couldn't use their computer anymore. Oh, okay, so you just taught us to do pop-up windows. Nice, Bart. <laughs> I, yeah, but the thing is, in modern browsers, they now have countermeasures against abusing these features. Uh, so Firefox puts in that checkbox, and Firefox will actually just disconnect the window that alert function. Wow! If you if you say prevent this this page from creating additional dialogues, then every time the JavaScript says Windows that alert. Firefox says, "Yeah, I've disconnected you. I'm doing nothing." 
So if I check that box right now, we're not really talking to the web page. So if I refreshed it, I could do this again. I don't know how Firefox remembers with the page. So maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Let's not do so, that. Yeah, okay. I haven't experimented with that. So for now, let's keep let's keep this page as it okay. is. Um, okay. So I have mentioned that the DOM represents every single thing in the page. So if you do a view source, so if you go to Tools Web Developer Page Source, it will pop up the source for the page. Mm-hmm. You can see my HTML, right? And it's pretty nice HTML, like we've learned about all those times ago. And what you will notice in that HTML is that there is an aside which has the ID AS underscore uh, Ajax. You can do a command F to find that. Yes. Right, so you see there's an aside tag that has ID equals AS underscore Ajax. So the next bit of code I'd like you to copy and paste says document.getElementById AS underscore Ajax. So in other words, we're calling a function on the DOM to query the document for whatever HTML tag it was. So within the DOM, we call each HTML tag an element. So a P tag is an element, and then the P tag after it is another element, and then the H1 tag after it is another element. So every time you open a tag, you're making an element. So document.getElementById AS underscore Ajax is obviously going to query the DOM to find that one particular tag that has that ID. Dot style dot border width equals 5px. So we are going to alter its CSS. So what you wait will minute, see when wait, you... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a wait, wait. So we said document get element by ID, and then we're going to look for this as Ajax thing. Mm-hmm. But, but we aren't just getting it, we're actually ch- changing it? I don't understand how you can change yeah. something within a command called get. That doesn't seem... Okay, no, so, okay, so break it down. So document that get element by ID dot blah, blah, blah is a function which will return to us an object representing that element. On that object, we then look for the style property. Inside the style, we look for the border width property, and then we set it equal to five pixels. Wow. Okay, oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, yeah, all right. Woo. So if we, if you have that the web, yes, look, Neat. it looks stupid, right? So we now broke borked at our web page by doing mm-hmm. that, right? Yeah. So let's do it fresh and everything's back to normal. Nope. I'm going to do lots of other. I'm going to make it 20. <laughs> I did 500 just for the crack earlier. It looks really <laughs> dumb. <laughs> okay. That's so spooky that you can actually change the way the web page looks. Oh, that is neat when you change it to 500. Yeah. And then you can really see that it's dotted, not dashed. When you make it that big, they really are little circles. Yeah. Because I know you can't usually see the difference. Well, but in dot- and they're square on the corners. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's the Firefox thing. Not all browsers will do that. So Firefox mm. puts nice little roundy bits on the roundy corners. Yeah. Huh. But again, it's, the browsers have leeway. So not everything is identical between browsers. Yeah. So I'm, at the moment, I'm just trying to give you a taster, right, of how this all hangs together. So document object model, the page and the object model represent the same internal state of the browser. When you alter the DOM, the page changes. When the page changes, the DOM changes. Okay. They are connected. They are views of the same reality. Okay. Now, now we come to something I have agonized over for the last six months. <laughs> right. So, the DOM provides all the functionality to do everything we could possibly want to do. The thing is, the DOM is clunky as all be Jesus, and writing pure DOM code is unpleasant. 
<laughs> so unpleasant that a whole bunch of third-party libraries have sprung up that they all use the DOM under the hood, but they, pro- they allow you to manipulate the DOM in a more human-friendly way. And the reality is I haven't written pure DOM code in at least the last five years. So I didn't feel comfortable teaching you something I don't actually do. And the reason I don't do it is because I think it's horrible. Yeah, so why, would, do I? why would we want to do that? Exactly. So the purist will say, but Bart, this isn't pure JavaScript anymore. You've introduced a third-party library. And my answer is, yeah, tough, I guess. <laughs> I've, there are pros and cons, and I've decided I'm going to teach what I know. I'm going to teach what I love. I'm going to teach what I think is easier. And what you and use. That is, yeah, easier to use, easier to program with, more. It allows you to do cooler stuff with less code that'll be easier to read, easier to fix, easier to change six months from now when you've completely forgotten how it works. It will allow us to do more easier. And I think that's worth doing. So the word library is always a little confusing in this kind of context for me. So DOM is a concept, right? It's not a language? So the, no, so the DOM is a bunch of objects the browser gives us. Right. So the browser constructs these objects for us and presents them to us. And those objects represent the page. But you talked about you don't want to write in DOM. Right. So the DOM, so those objects contain data and functions. Right. Because like we learned with our IP object, it contained data, which was the IP address and functions for parsing and two stringing and all that kind of stuff. Right. So the objects the browser presents us, which we call the DOM, contain a mixture of functions and data. So document.title is a piece of data window.alert is a function. Right, right, right. They're all but, in the DOM. Yeah, yeah. So I followed that, but then you said we're going to use a library in order to talk to it or a library that right. represents just easier ways to say the same stuff? Right, so we are going to write the code using functions provided by this third-party library, and then inside its code, if you were to do a view source, you would see that what it's actually doing under the hood is interacting with the DOM. Okay, but this isn't another language. It's not another language. It's all written in JavaScript. Okay. So it's just so, so when I when we wrote the complex number function, you could describe that as a library. So someone using it has no idea how the inside works. You've just given them the code, and they go, "Well, now I can say var x equals new complex number." Okay. So that is a library or an API. Whatever they're all interchangeable words. Okay. All right. So the third party piece of JavaScript code, which is a single JavaScript file. Uh, that contains all the code to do this is called jQuery. Oh, now, okay. jQuery gives us a free pass in a very important way. So we have learned CSS. So we know that if we want to make all paragraphs inside a section with the ID boogers be blue, we'd say uh, div hash boogers, so a div with the idea of boogers, space, P for paragraph, open our squarely bracket, border dash color, colon, blue, semicolon, close our squarely bracket. So we're, fam- we're familiar with doing those kind of things, dot for class, hash for ID, or pound, whatever, whatever you call it. Because we've been doing that in our CSS. Right. Well, in JavaScript, you want to manipulate that element over there, or that element over there. So why not use CSS to describe what you mean? And that's how, that's how jQuery works. You use CSS syntax to tell it what element you're trying to manipulate. Huh. And jQuery will go find it and then manipulate that one for you or those 10 for you or those 100 for you. So we get to piggyback on the knowledge we already have. 
I'm going to take it on faith that what you said made sense. Well, Point you're not going to take it on there. faith for long. Okay, yeah, you're not going to take it on faith for long. <laughs> okay. So the entire Java jQuery library is wrapped inside a single object that has been given the shortest possible name so that we have as little as possible typing to do. It's named dollar. <laughs> okay. So whenever you see dollar open bracket, you're calling jQuery. Dollar, and in my language, dollar open parentheses. That's the one. Okay. Yes. Uh, it's also available by the longer name jQuery, if you should wish lowercase j, uppercase q. But <laughs> everyone uses it with dollar because you're going to use it a lot. So why not save yourself quite a few characters? Okay. So dollar is our gateway into all of this JavaScript code written for us by the good people at jQuery. So, that one little object called dollar has, oh my God, so much power contained within it. (laughs) But it is just one little object called dollar. So, as a quick example, let us use jQuery to just get a reference, just access every single href attribute of every single a tag. So dollar open parens the CSS selector a dot atter href. So let's just what copy does paste that, that mean? Okay, I'll explain that in a sec, but you can paste that into the dummy page because the dummy page has the jQuery library loaded. Okay. Now what that has really what that has actually done is fetched every single a tag in the entire page and then gotten the href attribute of it. But what we see in the console is the last one. So the last link on the page or the last link it found went to bartb.e forward slash pbs. So that's not all that useful, but we will keep going. Well, no, no, back up. I have no idea what, what you typed means. Okay, so dollar means invoke the magic of jQuery. Yes. Then we got what some jQuery wants you to do is to tell it what, what tags, what elements on the page you want to manipulate. And we do that using CSS syntax. So if I wanted to change the look of every link on a page in CSS, I would say A, open curly brackets, color colon blue, text decoration underline. What is the A? The A is the CSS selector. So link tags are A tags. So we're saying every A tag on the page Okay. So remember, we, okay, remember, just a trefs. Okay, so ignore the dot atter bit. Just just the first yeah. bit. So dollar dollar and then the string a is saying I want every single a tag in the entire page. Remind me what other kind of a tags are other than a trefs. Uh, anchors, for example. If you just want to link to something, you would make an a tag without an a tref. You'd say, and then you could use that to jump to it. Okay. So the a tref in this. And the ATTR don't have anything to do with them being A tags? So confusing. Not directly. So let's no, let's let's break it down, right? So the first thing is the first thing we do is we say, give me a list of all the A tags, and then we're going to access the href attribute inside each of those tags. So when oh, you write an A tag. Okay. 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 Right? So when we do it like that, which is one argument. Which one's we just the argument? Get back the, the A or so, the Href okay. is the argument. Okay. So 
A is the selector, we'll call it, because it's telling us what we want. And then dot atter is the function we're calling on all of those A tags. And dot atter, we're giving one argument, which is what attribute we care about. We care about the href attribute. We might also care about the target. Remember, you can have targets in A's as well. Maybe. So if you look at the HTML. Okay. Okay, look at the HTML. This maps straight to the HTML. So if you do the, if you look at the source, because remember, this is, we're going back a bit here. We haven't done this in a while. So if you look at an A tag, to remind yourself what an A tag looks like, it's A, href equals, blah, 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 blah. And maybe yes. also target equals. So the href is an attribute of the A tag. And jQuery abbreviates attribute to atter. You know, when I'm typing, I'm never in an editor that shows it color-coded. And I always thought A space href was all one thing. No, so A is the but tag. Slash href, A is yeah. the other half. And slash A ends the tag. Yeah. Huh. Just hadn't thought of so it that way. Okay. Attributes. They're called right. attributes. So a so href is an attribute. Target is another attribute you would have seen. Of the a tag. Okay. Yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Target equals blank. Okay. Exactly. I didn't know that was attached to the a. I literally did not know that, and I type it all the time. Yeah. Hmm. So the phraseology is a is the tag, href is an attribute, and target is another attribute. Okay. So okay. in jQuery language, href is an atter, and target is another atter. Would an example of this, could I have said that the tag was IMG for image and the attribute yes. was was SRC source? You could have, source? and then you okay. could also say that another attribute available to you would be alt, and another attribute available might be title. Yeah. So that is the relationship. So tag name and then all of the things inside that, so blah equals blah, they're attributes. Okay. And jQuery lets us reach in there. So let's say that you're being very narcissistic today. And rather than reading out today? the current today, yeah, just today. <laughs> rather than reading out the current value of the href attribute, what if we wanted to change the value of the href attribute to make every single link on the page link to podfeet.com? Yes. That is what the next piece of sample code does. Really? So we copy and paste it in, and then you can hover over any link on the page and they now all go to your website. <laughs> Hang on, I, got, I copied the line number and such too so yeah so now hover over any of them w3schools podfeet.com color names podfeet.com mozilla dom documentation Podf oh there it is i did link to the mozilla dom documentation Wait a minute. uh what happened oh, it's not doing it for me did you get an oh, error I'm looking at the source yeah don't look at the source the source doesn't change because that's just the html that came from the server ah, look okay, at the live right, web page right. and go hover i like it i think this should be done everywhere this is how we should do all. Okay. So let's break down that command. Okay. Okay. So $A says, fetch me all the A tags on this page. Mm -hmm. Dot atter says, for each tag that, I, that you found, find me the href attribute. And because I'm giving two arguments, it's not going to return the value. It's instead going to change the value. Hmm. So we're saying for every A tag, set the href to... HTTP colon slash www.podfeet.com. I like it. <laughs> There's lots of other functions, right? So the, the, the jQuery is full of these little functions for manipulating the DOM. So the last thing we're going to do today is another little trick. So we're going to say $A. So we're selecting all the links again. And then we're going to call a jQuery function called empty, which will completely empty Ooh. the contents of a tag. And then we're calling another jQuery function to set the text inside the tag. So we're saying $A.empty.text, boo! 
So, so if you we're taking run that, all of the. I mean, I'm trying to keep track of my little dots and such here. We're saying to find the the a tags, mm-hmm. and then why does? So we didn't we didn't look. F- okay, I'm I'm lost again. Okay. When we said dollar a attr href, we said well, look that was for a the, dot in, in right. with the dot in between. We said look for that meant look for the attribute href inside what we've already found. So the first bit right. is just find me the tags. And so, then and then we said, find me the tags and then inside the tags you found mess with the href. Now we're saying, find me the tags and empty them. But the second thing in the, the one we wrote before, the a dot attr href, the dot mm-hmm. attr href was still looking in there. It wasn't, or looking for those. It wasn't, it wasn't modifying them. But now right after the dot, it is modifying. How does it know well, we were modifying to modify? Last time. Okay, so what's really happening is that $A is returning an object that represents all the A tags. Mm-hmm. And then on that object, we are calling the function ATTR to have a look inside that attribute. So oh, in this case, we're not... ATTR right, so means we, look inside that attribute? Look inside, the, look inside the result of the A dollar. Okay. And we're interested in the href attribute. Okay, but empty and, like, doesn't mean look inside. It means empty. It means empty, yeah. So we can do whatever we want, right? So the A, the dollar A just fetches all the matching tags and then collects them into an object, and then you can call functions on that object. So the M- empty is a function, which we are now calling on all those objects. And J- jQuery is designed so that you can chain function calls. Okay. So empty actually returns a copy of whatever it was called on. So then we have it again to call another function on called text, which sets the text to be something. So a so dollar a creates an object representing every a tag in the page, and then we call the function empty on that object. It empties it, and then it returns it, and then we call the function text, which sets it to boo, and it returns it again. Actually, so we could, in theory, say dot css color blue or whatever. I mean, we could keep messing with it. Okay, so, so that's called function and, chaining. And the, so basically, the text is what would have been inside the quotes in the ahref. It's a, no, it's actually everything between the A and the slash A. So if you imagine a P tag no, is an easier one. No, because the URL didn't change. Okay, well, if you run this code, you'll see the URL doesn't change exactly. It's so, every, so, so it's only the stuff inside quotes. It's the ahref equals quote. It's just that part. No. Oh, I'm sorry. It's the opposite of that. I'm sorry. The opposite of that, right? It's, it's between after the, the end of the, the angle bracket and before the beginning of the next angle bracket. Correct. So okay. between the end of the opening tag and the start of the closing got tag. Got you, got you. So if you run that, you'll see that all of a sudden all of our links become very useless because they now they still all go to podfeed.com, of course, unless you've refreshed the page. It'd be silly. I'm keeping uh, it that and, way. And and now they all they all say boo as well. So it's just boo 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 boo, <laughs> and they still go to podfeed.com. And as soon as you hit refresh, everything's back to the way it was. So is there something you've done on the, this web page to make jQuery be there? Yes, there is. So let's have a look at the source. Okay. So you'll see at the top, the head section is where all this stuff happens. So the first thing is our head section starts, you know, document type HTML, just like before. We open the HTML tag. We open the head tag. Nothing new here. The meta content equiv, set it to UTF-8, copy paste job. That's how we've always done it. Title, PBS dummy page, just like we've always done it. Import the CSS, link rel equals style sheet, just like we've learned before. Ah, now something we've not seen before. Hmm. Script. Source equals 
blah, 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 dot JS. And with the lovely comment, load the jQuery library. So in other words, we are saying suck in the CSS from over there and then suck in this JavaScript file. And now we have jQuery. Okay. How do you, dumb question, if you've got a WordPress installation, how do you make this happen? You would go to your theme, you would find the bit where it lets you inject stuff into the head, and then you would copy and paste in that line, and it will then spew that line into the head section. So you're calling a specific version of the jQuery library too, because it says jQuery 2.2.0.min.js. Yeah, so I downloaded from jQuery's website the latest version, and that's just the file name it came with. I put it into the contrib folder next to the .html file. And then I just saying it's a relative URL. So look for the folder called Contrib in the current folder and the file called jQuery two two zero min dot You want to have to maintain which li- version of the library you're looking at. I mean, if they're at two two one, don't you want that to happen? Do you? Maybe you'd like that to happen at your discretion. Because what if they change something? Yeah, but and then your you're code really suddenly does something you weren't expecting. Reading the change log every time they make an update to see whether you need it. You're not. So basically, you're going to develop the app with a particular version of jQuery, and you're never going to change the version of jQuery unless there's a security vulnerability in jQuery, which I don't believe has happened yet because it's all on the client side anyway. And or unless they have a new feature you want to in- include into your web page. So in reality, the version of jQuery you use in a page will get stuck at whatever it was when you created the page. Wow. Huh. I which you can have fun actually. That. So if you go around, so basically jQuery powers all my stuff. So if you go around and you have a look at the XKPASSWD site, what you'll find is an old version of jQuery. If you go then go have a look at the uh, IP subnet calc, you'll find the newer version of jQuery, but still old because that was done a year and a half ago. Hmm. So basically, if you follow me around the net, you can see when I did stuff based <laughs> on the version of jQuery that's uh, embedded into the top of it. But it's all jQuery. So I do all my webby stuff with jQuery. Okay, where did it go? Oh, I'm just going to search. That's too hard. jQuery. There it is. Ah, no. XKPassWD is also 2... Uh, oh, it's 211. Yeah, okay. So a little... 220. Look at you. Yeah. So every time you create a, a web page or like a new tool, you do this? Yeah. Okay. And maybe I'll update it at some sense. If I'm rewriting XKPassWD, which I will be doing hopefully over Christmas, I think you'll have time. Then what you'll find is it's suddenly going to have a whole new version of jQuery because I'm just going to I'm going to rewrite the whole thing from scratch pretty much to make it a nicer UI, and then I'll just take a new version of jQuery while I'm at it. Okay. But if someone were to find a bug and I were to fix that bug, I wouldn't bother changing jQuery. I'd leave it where it is on two one zero security. Unless jQuery say ah ooga ooga, you got to get rid of your jQuery two one. Okay. Actually, but like you say, that hasn't happened yet. Okay. Hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Huh. So. That is just a teaser taster, right? So what we have not done is learned how to do this stuff, like actually shoving a script in. So the script tag is something we'll learn about later. And we have a lot more jQuery to learn because jQuery is very powerful. Cool. Because basically all of XKPassWD, remember, is powered by jQuery. So all of that expanding, collapsing, validating data, calculating the entropies, all that stuff, that's all we've done with jQuery and JavaScript. So we have plenty more to learn. Yay. So I didn't want to overload you today, which is why we're sort of doing a little little skinnier one. Oh, yeah. This is, this is nice, Bart. I kind of like this pace. <laughs> okay, good. I know well, it's slow, but it's, I understood everything you said. Perfect. And then I'm going to try one of the same pace next time where we really get stuck into jQuery. So we're going to start to manipulate things 
a lot more. And then I'm going to teach you how to actually stick your own JavaScript right into a page because the last thing I need to teach you before that makes sense is something called events, mm. which I'm not going to do until we've laid a bit more foundation because Ooh, I've heard the browser, handler. yeah, the browser is all about events. When you click on something, an event is fired. When you scroll, an event is fired. When you hover the mouse, an event is fired. Mm-hmm. When you raise a key, an event is fired. When you press a key, an event is fired. When you drag, an event is fired. When you drop, an event is fired. Jeez. The browser, just everything you do, the browser fires an event. And then you as a programmer, you say, I want to listen for that event. And if that one fires, do this. And if that one fires, do that. And if the other one fires, do the other. And so that's how you tie JavaScript into a web page is you say, I want to listen for this thing happening. And when it does, do this. Very cool. So if you go to XKPassWD, you click the Generate Passwords button, that's an event. And that event has a whole bunch of code tied to it that says, actually, go do the work. Okay, okay. So we've got to learn that before we're ready to, to start hard coding our JavaScript into our web pages. Sure. I'm, so that's I, where we're going in the next few weeks. I like, uh, I like the baby steps. I'm not going to lie. It's, it gives Good. me more confidence. So remember, if there needs to be homework, you give us some challenges up front. We're, this time I'm not right. going to forget till the end and then have to go backwards. Well, the, I didn't think there was... I don't, we haven't quite done enough for me to set a no. reasonable challenge. So today, basically, play around in the console and get comfortable with it. And if you've arrived at that point, we're doing pretty well. Okay. Yeah. No, it just seemed pretty reasonable to me. Excellent. All right. Okay. Well, we will leave it there. And then until next time, happy computing, I think I'm supposed to say on this one. I think so. I think so. Okay. Happy computing. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is an unsponsored show, so if you like what you hear, you can help support the show by using the Amazon or App Store affiliate links you'll find over at podfeet.com. I love feedback, so if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com. If you want to join in the conversation with other listeners, you can go over to our Google Plus community at podfeet.com slash Google Plus or our Facebook group over at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.